you guys ready this morning for this? I'm stalling as much as I can. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm like, <sighs> with these questions, I have certain questions that have, that have like an asterisk, you know, next to it. So it's like, as we're going, I'll, I'll try to feel the, the room and see how you guys are doing. If you guys are just not quite loosened up yet, we'll just skip certain questions and act like they didn't, you know, even exist. But I've got some zingers in here, which should be fun for us if we're brave enough to tackle them this morning. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and start in uh, Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 37. If you guys have been here for the Sin series, we go back to this every single week. Matthew 22, 37. My iPad better stop shutting down on me. We're going to be in trouble today. Here we go. 37. So the context here, of course, and we've talked about this before, the context is, as always, you know, they're always trying to, to catch Jesus. Um, they're always trying to trick him. And so what's happening here is like they're trying to, to, to pin him with, with playing the law against the law. And so the question here comes out, and what they're trying to figure out again is, you know, they've kind of posed an impossible question, and here's the way that he answered. Uh, verse 37, so Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, um, what's interesting about this is, is that when it comes to understanding sin, um, one of my kind of hardcore beliefs on this is that I do believe that in all things, sin will never be able to conform to these two commandments, meaning sin will never be able to conform to loving God with everything in us, and it, it is never able to conform to loving our neighbor, Okay. These two things are impossible for sin to conform to. And so, in essence, it's almost like this verse becomes the rubric, like the grading sheet that we're going to use when it comes to sin, to understanding sin. So if you guys are taking notes, let's start here. First of all, understand that we are going to be asking some questions and trying to go into detail. So what that means is in the Scriptures, when you're trying to elaborate, to go in-depth, in detail, we are trying to kind of unearth answers that are not clearly written in Scriptures. What that means is, this is not doctrine. These are guesses. Everyone's like, then why are we even here? These are educated guesses, very solid guesses, okay? But the whole point with these questions is that there are things that Scripture just, you know, do not talk about. So again, when you guys hear me talking, please don't say, well, at Grace Church, the doctrine is such and such and such and such, and they say, well, that's not in the Bible, okay? This is us trying to kind of read between the lines here, okay? Secondly, the sin rubric for you guys, okay? If you guys are taking notes, you do want this. Step one. When it comes to sin, here's the first question that we have to ask ourselves. Is it an attitude of following Jesus? Now, when it comes to trying to figure out if sin is sin, okay, if, if you have something in your life and you're trying to wrestle with it saying, is this the will of God for me or not, okay, if you do not have an attitude, if your heart is not positioned to following Jesus, what's it matter anyway? Apparently not at all, right? Silence. You're going to have to talk this morning or else I'm going to feel really awkward answering your questions. If you want your question answered, I need you to talk back to me. How about that? Okay, so if you don't care about following Jesus, what does sin matter to you? Oh, see how much easier that is? Okay, so the, the first question to ask is this. When it comes to sin, is this coming from an attitude, from a choice, from the intention of my heart to follow Jesus? If that is not what's at the root of this question, then it's us just trying to kind of carve out rights, if, if, if you would. In the kingdom, it's not like here in the States. In the kingdom of heaven, we do not have rights. We get privileges. 
What that means is whenever I choose to hand over my entire life to Jesus, I don't get to dictate terms. Does that make sense? Okay. It's either His way or, or what? The highway. His way or the highway. The reason it's called the kingdom is because the kingdom has a democracy. <laughs> Who was that? Thank the Lord for you, Jerry. <laughs> We're just going to keep that as something we do every single Sunday. <laughs> A kingdom is not, it's not up for debate, okay? So what happens here is when we choose to, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we choose to come underneath and submit to the king of that kingdom, which happens to be Jesus Christ. So the first question is, is this coming from a place where I truly am willing and desire to follow Jesus, which honestly means to submit, to give up my right to stay in his kingdom? Now, the context of this that we see in scriptures, we, we, we've talked about this week, uh, actually, this month, is marriage, okay? The, the ultimate analogy, uh, the metaphor used in Scripture of the relationship we have with, with God is marriage. It's this idea that we choose to enter into this special kind of relationship, and with this, there are certain privileges that I get in this relationship, okay? The way that I interact and I relate to my wife is not the way that I interact and I relate to Jake. Sometimes, Right? There are certain privileges, okay? Like, you know, there's a certain kind of relationship that takes place here that doesn't happen with just everyone. But what happens is I get these privileges. I'm, I'm able to enter in, into this place of intimacy and trust and safety, but it takes me having to abide by the, what'd you put that? The structure of the relationship. Meaning with, with these extra abilities and blessings come this extra responsibility. For me to enter into this place of, Privilege means that I have to begin to operate inside this relationship with certain responsibilities. There's a certain way that I have to treat and interact, and there's a certain kind of expectations that are placed on me and that I place on her. And so in this context is how we understand sin, because with God, it's all about entering into this covenant relationship with Jesus. And what this is saying is, if you want to step into this relationship and have all the benefits of being in right relationship with Jesus, we also have to have those same expectations placed upon us. Now, second step is this. Is it addressed specifically in the New Testament? So when you've answered the first question, okay, say, all right, I would like to go have a beer tonight. So the first question comes from this. Is it coming from an attitude? Am I willing to give this up in following Jesus? Here's the second question. Is it specifically addressed in Scripture? Meaning, does Jesus or the Apostle Paul come out and say, you cannot do blank? Simple enough? Third question, probably the most important one. Is it loving God and loving my neighbor? Okay, is this, is this choice, is this thing, is it fitting inside of Matthew uh, 22? Is it coming inside of this relationship where I'm choosing to love God with everything and I'm choosing to love my neighbor as myself? Now, as we talked about this, what happens in, in, in love, Love causes you to be oriented to live in a way to where someone else or something else matters more than you do. If you truly love something, you value it more than you. If I truly love my spouse, I value her more than me. If I truly love my neighbor, because you know, to love your neighbor as yourself, what do you want for yourself? Good, hopefully, right? I mean, you want good things for yourself. So for me to love my neighbor as myself means I'm putting this person's welfare, their desires, their wants above my own. 
Now, the trick here is I can't do that until I enter into the right relationship with God because it's the grace of God that allows me to love someone else more than me. Who here naturally wakes up and says, you know what, I just love this person so much more than I love me. One person, that is amazing. You are an angel then. I don't do that, by the way. That's not the way I wake up in the mornings, okay? The way I wake up in the mornings, I say, I want what I want. I need my coffee. I want the shower first. You hold the baby. I'm good. (laughs) Okay, that's smart. That's smart. Give and take. And so what happens here is we enter, we enter into right relationship with God. It enables us, when our life is centered around Jesus, it prepares us and empowers us to live our lives centering around our spouses, our, our children, our friends, our neighbors, whatever. It allows us to do that because if we're trying to do this out of effort, it's impossible. Now, step four, the fourth question we ask ourselves, what does the Spirit say about this? Now, we learned about the law of the Spirit, right? It's the way the Apostle Paul speaks about the new covenant. And this idea is that now the law of God, what is right and wrong for me, is not written down in stone anymore, okay? What is, what is right and wrong with me is now about my heart intentions, okay? He, he cuts through the surface. It's about where are you right now and what are you really after? And so what happens here is for us to understand the will of God for our lives, it requires us to be in relationship with God, meaning you have to ask the question. Most people who walk in my office and say, hey, I've got this going on. Do you think it's from God? The first question I say is, have you prayed about it? Why? It's a great question, right? Because normally, if it's coming from a place of I want what I want, the answer is always going to be no. Or if they have prayed about it, yeah, sure, I prayed about it. Oh, I'm sure. Sounds about right, huh? And so again, when it comes to these things of sin, here's the four steps to go through. Okay, is it coming from the attitude of following Jesus? Is, is it addressed specifically in the New Testament? Uh, is it loving God, loving neighbor? And what does the Spirit say? Meaning, have we taken it to prayer? All right, I've wasted time long enough. All right. You guys ready? All right, here we go. All right, here we go. Question one. Is it the sin or, or, or is it the rejection of Christ that condemns us to hell? You have to read it that way, I think, you know. Uh, honestly, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, week one, when we were talking about sin, we were talking about how sin, sin has two facets. Sin is something that breaks relationship, okay, uh, in marriage. If your spouse goes and cheats on you, it's going to break the relationship, right? But sin is also the, the result of relationship that is already broken. You see that? Meaning, when your spouse goes and cheats on you, they're not cheating on you because they want to break the relationship. They're cheating on you because the relationship is already separated. Okay? So yes, it's something that we do that separates us from God, but sin is also something that kind of rises to the surface when we are already distant from Him. And so, with the question, what it comes down to in the Scriptures and and the Gospels with Jesus, He always said the same thing. His answer was always that He was the way. He was the door. He was the path. He is the light. He's the only way. His answer was always through relationship with Jesus, okay? And so the answer here is that, again, it would err on the side of rejecting Christ, meaning choosing not to enter into covenant, into right relationship with Jesus, is what we would be judged for, if you would. But sin is always going to be present Does that make sense? If we are in a place where we are choosing to push away from Jesus, sin is already surfacing in our life. 
Okay? Because the relationship with God is broken, there's already going to be things popping up in our life that are going to show us that that relationship is broken. Okay? Sin, these outward things are just the things that show us what's going on internally. Does that make sense? Okay, the outward sins that you see are just signs of what's going on underneath the surface. Okay, oh, with Jesus, you have to understand this. When Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, what we miss in the context here is that they were sinless according to the law, meaning they were not breaking the law at all. You know, the law of Moses, you know, hundreds of statutes, they were keeping every single one of them. And so what was so kind of um, scandalous about Jesus was when whenever he would sit down with them and debate, what he was always saying, he was always convicting them of sin. And the response to them was, no, we're not in sin. We are doing everything that God's asked of us. And his response was always, but where is your heart? Where is your heart? Because even though they were able to keep pages and pages of rules and laws, the issue was is that these things were empty promises. In their heart, they were still far away from, from God. Um, just because I don't cheat on my spouse, it doesn't mean that I am in covenant with her. Amen? Okay? Just because I'm not cheating on them, I'm, I'm not, you know, doing these outward things, it doesn't mean that in other ways that are less visible that I'm, I'm not already breaking covenant with my spouse. Okay? And so what happens here is that the, the issue, the, the actual focus here is not on the actions. It's not about the things that surface. It's on why they surface. Where are you? Where, where are you in the deepest, most honest place of who you are? Where are you with God? Okay? What is your intent of the heart? The hidden thing that only God knows. And again, what happens here is relationship is the most important thing, but sin will always surface once relationship is broken. Fun start? You guys are... Good answer. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate that. Good answer. If it's a bad one, it's like a crappy answer. <laughs> Try again. I hate hearing myself. It throws me off. So, okay, right. Question number two. Are all sins equal? I love that question. Someone on Facebook like, saw this question... And, was like answering everything for me. No, no, yes, yes, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, thanks for doing the sermon for me, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, the answer on this one, are all sins equal? <sighs> okay. When it comes to personal atonement, now, now again, we're going to get a little bit complicated here. When it comes to your right standing with God, okay, sin is sin, meaning you're either in in right relationship, you're either fully committed in your heart or you're not, okay? Now, as far as what happens on the surface, okay, we do see in the Scriptures that there are two different types of sins that God seems to be very upset about, okay? First of all, sexual sin. Now, the reason He seems to care a lot about sexual sin is because this is the ultimate kind of picture of, how you explain this, um, the nature of man, if you would. We are all about relationship, okay? We were created to be in relationship. We were created by a triune God who values relationship above all else to be in relationship with Him, each other, and creation. And so what happens is, because relationship is so important for us, um, covenant, trust, sex are such crucial things to our understanding of relationship. And so what happens in sex, okay, is that it is one of the most intimate, vulnerable things that we're able to experience in this life. 
And what happens whenever six is t- when sex is taking place through sin, meaning when it comes from a self-centered place, vulnerability is gone. Sex in lust, or sex in sin, if you would, when you enter into sex and all you care about is you, you are going into it with your walls up. You are risking nothing in trying to gain everything. Does that make sense at all to you? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> you have to help me, okay? When you enter in, into sex from a place of trust, vulnerability, uh, patience, compassion, you are vulnerable. You are, you are able to be wounded and to be hurt, but you're also able to connect, to be compassionate, and to love. And what happens here is that because these things are so connected to how we understand ourselves, we understand God, we understand the world, sexual sin is, is the one sin that the Apostle Paul was always the most worried about in the churches. It was always the first thing that he would address. Because again, it's so connected to who you are, it's so connected to your wounds, and it's so connected to your trust. And so again, sexual sin is, is something that he does highlight. Secondly, he does highlight in the Scriptures sins that involve other people. Meaning, when we are knowingly trying to get someone else to stumble, it's a dangerous thing. If, if you guys are taking notes... Um, Put down for, uh, for yourselves Mark 9.42, Mark 9.42, and 1 Corinthians 6, verses 17 through 20. Right there in 1 Corinthians, it's a part where the Apostle Paul kind of explains sexual sin and why it's so dangerous. But uh, there in Mark, uh, it's, it's where Jesus is explaining um, kind of the importance and the danger of leading other people into sin. He even says, if you, are, if you are knowingly leading someone younger in the faith than you into sin, it would be better for you to tie a weight around your neck and dive into the ocean. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So if that's you, stop. <laughs> right? It would be better to do other things than to do that. Okay. You might want to stop that. But again, the reason for this is, again, um, if, you are, if, if you are knowingly allowing or helping someone else stumble in and be harmed. In essence, you are, you are choosing to hurt them. And of course, what we see here is to be in right relationship with God is to love God with everything, and it's to do what? To love our neighbor more than ourselves. Okay. So what's happening here, it, it's showing that my relationship with God is broken. If I'm willing to, to allow and help someone else to stumble and fall, it, again, I am in broken relationship with God. It's going to hurt me, and it's going to hurt someone else. And again, one of the things that we see God is, is the most kind of furious about when it comes to sin is, is whenever we choose to bring others into it, okay? It's a dangerous place to be in. Um, and the Apostle Paul, the only times that we see uh, anyone in the church who was excommunicated, the idea where you are no longer welcome here, okay? It was not when that person was in sin. It was when that person was trying to bring other people down with him. When they were so broken in, in, in their relationship with God where they were willing to hurt other people because of their own pain, Okay? Hoorah, amen. So fun. Okay, let's keep moving. Hmm. It only gets better from here, guys, I promise. Here we go. Question three. Is it possible for a Christian who, who has been forgiven uh, of all their sins, past, present, and future, to commit an unpardonable sin? Wow, that's a good question. All right, uh, if you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, Mark 3, verse 28. Mark 3, verse 28. Now, um, 
you know, just understand the reason that, I, that I'm willing to kind of go in questions like this is because it's important for us to understand that, that these questions are coming from those of us in the body who have either fear or insecurity or, or weight or, you know, whatever with these questions, okay? I mean, these questions might not be something that matters to you, but the point is, is that it matters to someone. So I try my best to take these things seriously. Mark 3.28, um, the words of Jesus here, he says, And so I tell you the truth, all the sins and the blasphemies of men will be forgiven. But whoever does this against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He, he is guilty of an eternal sin. Ah! I mean, <laughs> whew, no one else scared by that? No one? He is guilty of an eternal sin. I'm going to pee my pants right then, right? <laughs> Have I done it? Did I do it? No, okay. Um, first thing, okay, if you're someone who's worried about that, then you shouldn't be worried, okay? Uh, you know, I, the first, you know, safeguard is you would, is, is if the attitude of your heart, if the um, posture of your heart is one of repentance saying, please no, please no, please don't let that be me then again, I highly doubt that is you. Secondly, understand that this, again, is going back to the root of the issue. It's not about the offense. It's not saying, well, it's okay to jaywalk, but if you, you know, steal something, oh, it, it's over, okay? The issue, again, shows the relation of your heart to God, okay? When you get to that place where you are willing, if you were to not only push back from God, but to where the, the, the place of your heart would lead you to such a hardness, if you would, um, towards God. It shows that what's taking place here is that relationship is broken and you are not willing to allow God near at all, uh, obviously, to help you uh, to repair that brokenness. Um, at the same time, let me just say this. You must allow this verse to kind of bring a soberness or a heaviness to it. At the same time, the way Jesus speaks about everything else and even about all things and all sins is, again, it's always in the context that with God and through Jesus, all things have been forgiven, all things are made new. And, and I think the, the, the heart of this passage is more about, again, are you willing? Are you willing to fix, to make right, to repent, to turn, to come back to God? And I think that that, again, in, you have this one verse, and I think it shows up in three different Gospels, but honestly, the entirety of the Gospels say contrary to it. So I would allow this verse to kind of scare you a little bit, if you would, but also take comfort in the fact that everything else that Jesus and the Apostle Paul teach about the Gospel and about what Jesus had done on the cross, it's always saying that on the cross, everything was reconciled. All things made new. You, creation, everyone, through Jesus, are able to be reconciled to God. And so again, I think it comes back to the attitude of your heart. As long as you are willing and you desire to make things right, to come back to God, to allow Him to heal you, to move on you, speak to you, uh, I would not be worried. But that is kind of a heavy question, right? All right, let's get to some more fun stuff. Now we got questions about sexual sin and marriage. <laughs> oh, even quieter. Okay, here we go. 
First question. Is divorce always a sin, and what about remarrying? Lord have mercy. Um, <laughs> if you guys are taking notes, go to Matthew 19. Um, we don't have time to go into anything in depth here. Again, I uh, apologize. We don't have time to answer questions thoroughly. Uh, if there's a question that you just really have more uh, questions about, uh, you can always come find me or Pastor Zach or Pastor Larry. We will help you out there. I am just kind of skimming the surface because we have so many questions and uh, so little time. Simply put, let me say this, Matthew 19 is where Jesus is confronted with the fact that Moses, he allowed people to have divorces, okay? It was allowed at at that time through the Old Covenant, and the idea was um, through sexual sin or whatever, you know, if, if your spouse cheated on you, you were allowed to divorce and to find a new spouse. But Jesus' response to that was not quite what they wanted to hear. And simply put, he told them that the marriage covenant was not to ever be broken. And he said it so sternly that his response to them was, it might be better to be single. That was his response. Now, with that being said, okay, let's step back a little bit. Um, It's important for us to understand why marriage is such an important thing in the Scriptures and with God. Because, again, it's not just about us. The marriage covenant is the ultimate picture of how we are to relate and understand God. And so what happens is the reason that, that he is so prone to, to protect this image is because, again, he wants us to have a very clear, tangible um, thing that we can understand how to relate with him. And so we do understand in covenant that covenant was always made... How do you say this? Marriage assumes something. Marriage assumes that you are human. Okay? Marriage is not based on loving feelings. Marriage covenant is based on a loving choice, right? Love has two facets, okay? There's the affections of love, and there are the choices of love. You feel love for someone, so you make a choice. Then you feel more love for them, so you make another choice. But what happens here is that choices are what keep us when the affections are gone. And so covenant is what God gave us to where we have these affections to where we know what's right. I want to marry this person. And so we make a choice. And what happens is this choice is what binds us when the affections and the feelings disappear. It keeps us together long enough for those feelings and affections to what? Come back. And they come back and they go away. And they come back, oh, I love you. Oh, I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Okay. Let's be honest. That's the way it works. And so what happens in this, though, is that, that this is the context okay, in which we are allowed to, to engage in sex and we are engaged into procreation, children. Meaning, the reason that we are only allowed by God to enter into having children with someone when we have covenant is because for the children's sake, they need to know that there's something holding their parents together more than feelings. Are you seeing that? The will of God is never for children to have separated parents or to be parentless. Okay, the heart of God is that we would have this, right? And so, which is why he's created the marriage covenant. All that being said, okay, um, the Apostle Paul still addresses the strain which takes place in a marriage when only one person is fully committed. Because what happens in love is that we cannot, we cannot control the... the the commitment of the other person. The moment that we begin to try to control the other person, it ceases to be love, right? Again, 
If love is all about caring about the other person more than us, okay, the moment that we begin to try to control that other person, okay, it ceases to be love. And again, it mirrors the relationship that we have with God, right? He refuses to force us. He refuses to manipulate us, okay, uh, into staying faithful to him. And so he always allows us the freedom to break covenant. And so in the scriptures, we see that we are able to break covenant with God, and our spouses are able to break covenant with us, okay? So when you have a spouse who breaks covenant with you, whether on paper or not, okay, what happens here is that we are seeing that, again, this person is no longer willing to be in this relationship, okay? And again, the manifestations of that could be abuse, it could be, you know, filing for divorce, whatever. And so what takes place in this is, again, we have to make sure that we're taking care of, of, of our children and ourselves. And so I would say this, I would say, pray long and hard about it, get counsel, okay, and be slow to make decisions, okay? If things are terrible right now, again, we do not want to make um, lifelong decisions based on temporary circumstances, okay? So things might be bad for this month, but wait another month, okay? Uh, if it's important to separate, separate, but take your time, okay? Don't rush it. Amen? I'm getting tired. That was another light one, right? Here we go. Um, number two, is that marriage a state of the heart rather than a legal document? Actually, no and no, okay? Marriage is not just, it's not only a state of the heart and it's not only a document, okay? Marriage is a three-way relationship with God and someone else. Okay, for us to step into covenant, it is, involves us and the other person, but it also involves a third party, which is who? The state of Arkansas. No, it is God, right? And so what happens here is, you know, we are stepping into covenant with someone else and with God, okay? And so, you know, the, the papers or, you know, the state of your heart, it's about more than that. And so um, there's a lot for us to talk about with this, but I think we kind of hit a lot of this um, with the previous question. Begin to understand that, again, uh, you know, you're not only married because the state says you are. At the same time, if you're, if you're a couple who says, well, we're committed to ourselves, but like we just haven't got married, the question is why? Why? Why haven't you got married? Okay? And um, I've heard great reasons for it. But the bottom line is this, okay? The reason that we haven't got married is because it has something to do with us. Okay? It... Most of the time, it, and I'll just say that to be safe, most of the time when, when a couple has chosen not to get married, it's because one or both of them is not ready yet. Meaning there's part of them that is still worried about who? Them. They're still trying to protect themselves, their money, their future, their freedom, their kids. And, and honestly, the reasons can be great. They can be great reasons. But if you have not chosen you know, to enter um, into covenant yet, you are trying to have the benefits okay, of this relationship without, without the, the expectations. Meaning, your relationship is still at the baseline selfish. Okay? Because you are not giving up your control. Because when you enter into covenant, you are giving up your rights, if you would, and you're entering into this relationship where there is full disclosure, no safety, if you would, okay? It's this, it's this idea where we are locked in, period. And so I would say that. I mean, it's just getting better and better this morning. Oh, my goodness gracious. Let's skip that one. I don't want to talk about this one. 
I'm not sure we're going to handle it this morning. Okay. Okay. Put your adult hat on. You guys ready? You guys are like, no, I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. Question number four. Is masturbation a sin? And no, this is not just for men. Let's be honest. Everyone's like, oh my Lord. Okay. This is a question for all adults. Okay. Terrific question, by the way. Uh, <laughs> where's the on-ramp on answering this? I have no idea. Um, here's the thing with this, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find a very subtle way to approach it. What's dangerous... Oh, okay. Scriptures do not talk about masturbation. It's not in there, okay? There's like one kind of weird verse in Song of Solomon and one kind of odd reference in the Old Testament, but even that is not talking directly about one person by themselves masturbating. Okay, there you go. What's dangerous about masturbation is this, okay? You have the ability to have self-gratification, meaning you don't need anyone else. That is a dangerous thing, okay? Because love is predicated upon needing someone else, okay? Um, And the way that we relate to God, okay? The reason that we have needs is because it's the way that we set this relationship where I choose to step into a relationship with God to where I need Him now for my emotional needs for my finances. I need him to protect my family. I need him, you know, with my dreams and my future. What happens is I'm choosing to give up my ability to take care of my own needs, and I'm expecting God to do it. That's what tithing is, by the way, okay? It's this idea where, yes, with my own money, I can choose to take care of what I need with it, but I'm going to choose to trust that God's going to take care of my needs by giving, okay? And so it's this idea to where in marriage, we now are reliant upon someone else to meet our needs. Okay, Again, it's a trust issue, right? And what happens here in marriage is that sex is something that's supposed to continually bring us back together. Okay, It's this idea where if I want or need sex, guess what I have to do? I have to ask for it, and I have to pursue the person. Okay, um, How do I say this subtly? Uh, it doesn't always work well if you just come out and say, I just want sex. Right? I mean, like, does that work great for everybody? I'm not sure if it does. Okay. <laughs> Come on, we're all grown up. What happens is, right, <laughs> at some point, you have to be willing to, to give a little. Okay? Men, I, you know, I mean, you might have to, like, watch a soap opera or massage, right, for a while. I mean, like, do you guys like that stuff? Come on. Please grow up with me so I can... <laughs> okay. It forces us, again, okay, it forces us to, to focus on the other person in the relationship, okay? Um, whenever I need something from God, it forces me to either choose to forget Him and to go get it myself, or I choose to wait on Him. And so, when it comes to masturbation, I think it's, it, it's in the same line, okay? It, it's not in the Scriptures. It's, it's not this thing that where God says it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. Most of the time, masturbation is centered on lust, not love, right? It's centered on I want this, not I want you. And, of course, that you being a person that you know and you're investing in, 
right? Because <laughs> pornography or lust, it requires no investment on your part, no vulnerability, right? You're only using. You're getting what you want when you want it. But marriage and love is the opposite thing, right? Sometimes you won't get what you want <laughs> for a long time, right? I'm messing. It's just too easy. Okay. <laughs> Hope your answers are... Uh, uh, we're not talking about that anymore. Let's move on. <laughs> I think I answered it, right? Do you think I answered it? Okay. <laughs> okay, it's all downhill from here. I think we're good. All right. Um, we're talking about the freedoms of the believer, okay? So what is a Christian allowed to do? Okay. Um, first question here. Oh, there it is still. Okay, here we go. <laughs> So can Christians drink alcohol, get drunk, or even get high? If it's Colorado and weed is legal, is it okay for us to, you know, have a little bit, you know? Come on, don't even. I actually know some of you in here, okay? <laughs> you guys forget that sometimes. Okay, here's the thing. Um, going back to the rubric, if you would, okay? Um, we have to start again with that first question, okay, is this coming from a place of, my, my attitude is to follow Jesus, meaning if he says no, or if it's a no, am I willing to give it up, okay? Um, secondly, uh, actually, I'll say thirdly, we'll, we'll skip to that. Thirdly, is this something that is going to cause harm to anyone around me? First Corinthians, uh, I believe, uh, my goodness, it, it, Chapter 8, what is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and 6, verse 11. Um, the Apostle Paul is talking about, you know, the way that we are able to exercise freedoms, meaning there are things that we're allowed to do. And, and again, it, it goes back to, to this law of the Spirit thing, where the Holy Spirit is able to search our heart and say, what is your intention right now in this place? And... Are you caring more about the people around you, or are you just caring about trying to meet your own um, desires and needs? First of all, I'll say this. Um, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says that we are not allowed to drink alcohol. Let me just kind of set the record straight, okay? The first miracle of Jesus was what? What was he criticized for? He brought the strong wine at the end of the party, Right? Because the party rule is what? You have the strong stuff up front, but once they get wasted, what do you give them? All the junk stuff. And I, <laughs> your face is, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never been anywhere with, with the red solo cups. I don't, I don't. Yeah, okay. Here we go. So again, uh, we are as Christians, we do have this freedom, if you would, to partake of all these different things. Now, the questions you know, that we have to ask ourselves, where the Apostle Paul goes into in chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians is, is this harming anyone around me? Okay? Because what happens is, is that the word used there is conscience. It's the idea that we have this, this, this balance between our understanding of God, our understanding of the Scriptures, and the way the Holy Spirit is speaking to our heart. And so what this comes out to is it depends on where I am in my walk. Some people, whether it's understanding the Scriptures, the picture they have of God, or their past, alcohol is not okay for them. Okay? There are people in this room who should never touch alcohol again for the rest of your life. 
okay? Um, either it's something in your past where you just had a rough time with it, uh, whatever, okay? What happens here is it's not just okay for us to say, well, it's okay for them not to drink, so I can just have my drink. What happens here is we have to ask ourselves, is my having this drink something that will cause this person to stumble, okay? Now, that's a very mature thing for us to have to do because, again, it's causing us to care more about the people around us than to care about who? Us. Um, we had for about seven or eight years, if you were on staff here, um, you had to give up the right to have alcohol. And it wasn't until last year or like the year before uh, that we, we actually changed that. And um, when I was praying about it, I really felt like the elders and the staff here at Grace needed to start being able to model and also to be approachable. Because like, you know, the one thing I found was if, if someone was having an issue with alcohol and if they knew that, that, you know, that I wouldn't come within 100 feet of it, the last person who, did, who they would ever go talk to was me about it. But if they found out that I was someone who wasn't afraid of it, you know, you know if, if, we're, if we're at a, someone's house and they brought out wine or if they had a beer, and if they didn't see this, this look on my face, <laughs> they might actually talk to me about it, okay? Secondly, um, one thing I've really seen with my children is it's better for me to teach my children about something than to hide them from it. Does that make sense? And so one thing I've wanted to do was to model this and to actually show them, here's how you handle this, and here is when you can, and here's the places where you can't. Let me also say this too. Um, understand that we are never allowed, hear me on this, you as a Christian are never, ever allowed to get drunk, ever. It is a sin, and here's why. Because whenever we begin to drink, it begins to separate our understanding of choices and consequences, okay? The more, the more drunk I become, the less aware I am of how what I'm doing is affecting who? You. My neighbor, okay? And so whenever I am drunk, I might say something, I might do something to hurt someone else. I might decide that I can get in the car and drive home, Right? And again, so in the scriptures, we see that the Apostle Paul says, do not be drunk on wine, but what? Fill with the Spirit. And when, and when he gets into that, he says, because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. The Holy Spirit makes you even more aware of how you are affecting those around you. Okay? And so, you know, it's a fine line to, to answer. And so the question I get a lot is, so can we have one beer, two beers, three beers? Well, you know, we don't want to make a new law about it, but one thing that I do is my wife is involved in it with me, meaning she hates alcohol, she despises it. If she smells it, she about throws up. Awesome, by the way. We have this agreement between us it, um, where she has the right to call me on it if it looks like I'm either, one, drinking too much, or two, if I'm drinking for the wrong reason. Meaning, if I'm trying to fill a need or a void, okay, I don't have the freedom to drink. Why? Because the first question I'm answering is, am I loving, is this coming from a place of loving God with everything? Meaning, am I trusting God to meet all of my needs? The worst thing happens sometimes 
when I want to have a beer, someone or something will make my day awful and I will want it too much. Are you understand what I'm saying? I don't drink on a bad day. Did you hear me? That's not a good enough reason. Because what I'm doing is I'm taking my needs into my own hands. I'm not willing to go into prayer or to sit down with my wife and talk it through. I'm just going to go deal with my stuff on my own. Okay? I'm breaking relationship with God and with my neighbor. Okay? Now again, understand, this is about you and the Lord. You have to be aware of where you are. And you, you honestly might not need to touch alcohol ever again in your life. And you better be careful who you drink around. Okay? If you're a Christian who, who thinks that you're mature enough to drink, then when you walk in a room, you better ask everyone in that room, is it okay? Is this going to harm you? I mean, things like that. And honestly, follow the Holy Spirit. Because there are some people who have issues with alcohol, who have a past, who won't want to speak up. They don't want to make you feel bad. One of the things I hate the most is when I'm having a good day, when everything's fine, and I feel the Holy Spirit say no. I hate that. Terrible, right? It's the worst thing in the world. Oh, I didn't hear anything. It's all fine. What is the Spirit of God saying? Is this coming from a place where I'm willing to give it up? Is it coming from a place where I'm choosing to love God with everything and I'm choosing to put the needs of others around me? And am I willing to take it to prayer? Even in that moment. When you get the menu out at the restaurant, Lord, you have to be willing to do that. Will... I think we have time for one more, maybe. We'll have to see here. Let me see what I got. Psychics. You want to do that one? We'll do that. What about psychics? Are they the work of Satan? <laughs> Honestly, that's a terrific question because some of you guys are doing the horoscopes and What's the show that has like the psychic lady and she has like conferences and she's blonde and like New Jersey. It's like the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen in your life. Like what's that called? Everyone's like, I don't know. I don't watch that show. You know who you are. I know you watch it. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, um, we do believe, um, we do believe in spiritual things, okay? Uh, We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the supernatural. We also believe that there are forces who are against God and Jesus, and of course the name we give that is Satan, and we also believe that, that, that he has many, if you would, compadres who are, <laughs> who are active in a, at work and alive. Here's the thing, okay, um, in the Old Testament what we see is almost every single time that a king or someone or a prophet went to someone like this, okay, first of all we see that they are very accurate, okay, meaning they are hearing things, okay, from the spirit realm, but they're hearing it from the wrong side, okay? Meaning the, the person or thing that they are getting into relationship with is the wrong thing, okay? And again, for us, it all starts with being in right relationship with God. What the temptation is is this. We have questions and needs from God that we want answered, and sometimes, again, just at the sixth question, for us to be fully trusting in God and, and operating in love with Him, we have to wait on Him, and we have to trust Him, Horoscopes are super awesome and fun. Fortune cookies, right? Which, by the way, Holy Spirit speaks through fortune cookies. I don't care who you are. Accurate. I'm telling you. Here's the danger, okay? Um, it, is, 
it is a sin for us to, to turn anywhere else to get these answers in our lives. Because often what we're doing is we want to have an answer or to hear about things that God has not shown us or spoken to us yet about. It's an easier fix, right? It's easier for me to meet my own, my own needs. It's easier for me to go somewhere else. It's easier for me to try to get these things filled somewhere else where I don't have to have trust and patience, okay? But there are things that God knows we don't need to know about, or we don't need to know about them yet. And so the Spirit of God is able to speak to us, to show us anything we need to know, but we have to be willing to wait upon Him. Amen? All right, let's stand up and let's go ahead and end this service with me.